Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... The Black Coat Starter. So Eric, I don't have a game for you today, but I, I did uh, hear that this podcast is almost delayed because of an act of God. What happened over there? We lost power for five days because of a 15-minute windstorm. Why are you bringing this up? We just had this conversation. I want it to be recorded for posterity so we can send it to DTE, your power company. <laughs> well, DTE, if you're listening, you can go yourself okay yeah we'll 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 bleep that out (laughs) i hope you beat yourself off (laughs) well i i did bring it up because it's kind of related to a movie i watched that's one thing i watched um bird box barcelona (laughs) the how is that at all related uh because you know (laughs) it's post-apocalyptic you know there's no power Oh yeah, I would not survive long in the apocalypse. Based I wasn't even sure I was mad about it. <laughs> right. <You> just, <laughs> I didn't last overnight. Ridiculous. I went to a hotel. <laughs> and These I alien creatures that we can't look at, services. what are they doing? <laughs> it was bullshit. Oh man. Well, uh, so was Bird Box Barcelona. Not a good movie. I just wanted to bring it up because of your predicament. It's really, uh, it feels like a uh, throwaway you know, straight to streaming sequel has a cool concept at its core, but I don't know, just kind of dumb throughout. I didn't, I didn't get the hype about the first one. I thought it was mm-hmm. fine. It was good, but people were like, at least a couple people by me were losing their minds about how good it was. And I was like, oh, I don't wow. know. It's, it's okay. Have they ever seen a movie before? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was their first time. Maybe they removed their blindfolds and this was the first time they saw motion pictures. Right, right. Uh, well, you know, we watch a lot of movies, so we're maybe a little jaded when it comes maybe. to these things. I uh, suppose well, that's possible. Did you get a chance to watch any movies during your uh, power outage-less week? I did. I saw one half of Barbenheimer. Would okay, you care to guess which half? I'm going to guess it was the first half Barbie. I did see Barbie by Greta Gerwig and uh, written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Okay. Well, Um, don't spoil it for me because I've not seen Barbie yet. I will not spoil it. Um, I actually almost didn't say anything about the movie because I was kind of leaving the theater and I was like, am I a misogynist? (laughs) No. (sighs) I really loved 90% of the movie. I laughed so hard. And then we had like an end game moment as I was leaving the theater with my wife. And I don't know if you remember this, but as we were leaving end game, I believe we were earning in the car. You started talking about that stupid moment in the last fight where all the women teamed together yes. and had that thing. <laughs> and you were like, that was awesome. It was so cool. And I was sitting there like, Ugh. and we were, uh, you know, your wife was with us. And I was so glad when she said that was really dumb. Because I was like, thank God. You know, I know I need to work on myself, 
please, women, save us from ourselves. Men have been running this planet for the last tens of thousands of years, however long humanity has, like, you know, been walking on two legs, pretty much. Right. And look what we have wrought. Please, we're, we're, save we're, us from we're ourselves. <laughs> Take it, women. But mm -hmm. he, we were walking out, and my wife said that was too much. Mm, it was, God. like, too much. And it was a weird... There were so many positive messages in this film. And just to give, like, the least spoilery thing possible. Right. The basic plot is uh, Margot Robbie plays just Barbie. She's stereotypical Barbie, you know, as opposed to the Supreme Court Justice Barbie and all of the other Barbies that have jobs. Yep. Um, and their, their world in this movie, Barbie Land or Barbie World... Um, is basically a caricature of our world, only kind of gender swapped. So it's a, a complete matriarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, the, there's a joke early on about how the Kens don't even have jobs. Mm -hmm. They're just, I'm Beach Ken. That's not even a job. I'm just, I just <laughs> Beach. You know? Um, yep. And their whole value, uh, self and as the society, is as a, an accessory to Barbie. Okay. Um, so Margot Robbie has to go to the real world to solve some issues. Ken kind of tags along with her and takes some horrible messages from our society and they go back to Barbie land. Things happen. Um, at the end, you know, the Barbie character has like some real growth, but the Barbies do not. Mm -hmm. And it was just a very weird, this, a very positive movie about empowerment. They, they empower the Kens. The Kens are so attention starved. That uh, when Ken is in the real world, Ryan Gosling, a woman asks him the time. And mm -hmm. he is so taken aback that a woman would even ask him the time. Even right. trusts him to read a watch. <laughs> that, that's like kind of the, the existence these Kens have. Right, and at the right. end of the movie, you know, the Barbies are like, don't put all your value in your relationships with us. Like you have your own intrinsic value. It's like a, a really mm. good message. And then the Kens are yeah. like, well, can we do this? And they're like, no, maybe someday you'll have as many rights as the women on earth do. So <laughs> kind of like their, their, their answer to oppression is more oppression, which I thought was weird considering the rest of the movie mm. was like very well done and very awesome. Okay. And I was just like, that's a very odd message at the end. But then, you know, Maybe women need their revenge films too. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like viewed as a revenge fantasy against the patriarchy. Pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, that's a positive review. It's. A, I I would still good. give it. I liked it more than my wife did. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, I'm team women. Yeah, she's not apparently. <laughs> I would. Yeah, apparently she's one of those self-hating. My my wife is a misogynist. Holy crap! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I never, I never knew. Uh, so we're getting divorced. Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. I'm kidding, but I, I would still give it a 3.5. It okay, was cool. much funnier than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. um, really witty. I, I love Greta Gerwig. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, it was a little over the top sometimes. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'll come back with my thoughts soon. Uh, but I think it's a good time for me to move into the movie I watched, which is the second half of Barbieheimer. Barbenheimer. <laughs> I saw Oppenheimer. Oh, uh, no, I didn't see it. I, want, <laughs> I can't wait, though. I managed to go to the New York City IMAX, the real 70 millimeter big giant IMAX screen. And I'm so glad I did because it was a great experience to see something that was actually shot for that format, projected in that format. It, you know, there's nothing like it. Um, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan, of course, the story of 
the scientist who developed the atomic bomb, not by himself, but he was in charge of the project. And it is a big movie, big in scale, big in characters and time and philosophy. Nudity. Nudity, yes, there's a lot of nudity um, <laughs> on the giant IMAX screen. Um, there's. I heard the is, IMAX adds 10 inches. <laughs> is that why you bought that IMAX camera? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Killian Murphy plays Oppenheimer and he's incredible playing this character over a range of decades. The, what struck me most is the story that they told was a combination of, you know, the, uh, like a scientific breakthrough and all the manpower and woman power that's needed to push this project to completion. And also what it does to a person to have, a uh, a role in that process of creating what they think is a war stopping device that turns out to have much greater consequences than they envisioned. Uh, and you see his, uh, the consequences of what that does to a person, what it does to the public's image of that person, to their own uh, like inner thoughts and it's just, it's a really interesting experience. It really feels like a huge movie, how it uh, spans so much of his life. Um, so the first part of the movie is kind of like the development of this device. And then the other part of the movie is all these characters' feelings and philosophies and how the world views it. And they're intertwined time, you know, Christopher Nolan with his timelines, they kind of, uh, you know, jump back and forth through time. There's this rapper story of a sort of a pseudo trial that Oppenheimer had to go through. There's another trial. It's crazy because rap wasn't really popularized until the 70s. <laughs> yes. It's such an innovator. <laughs> There's a, uh, another kind of story of um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who was a senator trying to be appointed to a presidential cabinet. And he had dealings with Oppenheimer and those dealings are now being brought up to light and he has to defend his actions. And there's just a lot that's going on at once in any moment. You could be confused because there's so many characters and so many things that are happening, but it's like the tapestry of events makes perfect sense. And you really get a feeling for what Oppenheimer is going through and it ends on such a great note. I won't spoil it, but it's just like the perfect kind of button to this whole endeavor um that Man, was kind there of is there is a real um there's a version of this podcast where someone thinks you're talking about bombing japan right now no okay that's true <laughs> i should clarify that the uh that well i'm not going to say anything but that's not what i'm talking about as a perfect moment <laughs> um we just got canceled. thanks right it's a it's a really incredible movie especially for nolan who's not known for his like humanity and his like scripts you know he comes up with like big wild ideas and is really great at like executing technically these big set pieces and kind of developing climaxes that have like multiple parts happening at once this has all that even though it's really about just people talking and science happening and people just kind of realizing their place in a changing world. Like it has a lot of depth to it. So I was really surprised that no one was able to pull that part off as well. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, he has, as much as I wasn't maybe necessarily a fan of Interstellar, that was like a very human story set against a backdrop of, um, you know, interstellar travel and the cool kind of sci-fi stuff you would normally associate with Nolan, I think. So he can yeah. pull off that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess I, I would say that uh, you are completely right. What I think this does a little differently is that there's no big, wild, you know, sci-fi emotional extravaganza behind it. There's definitely emotional things and emotional climax, but there's no like big, um, you know, they're not exploring the universe and going to other planets and, you know, giant waves and you know, time dimensions and things like that. It's a lot simpler. It's like just real science happening. The bookcase in the middle of a black hole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I got to shout out the editor of this film because, like I said, it's a big movie. So many storylines, time jumping back and forth. It's remarkably edited. Jennifer Leem is her name. Be on the lookout for her. She uh, edited some big movies, Marriage Story, Manchester by the Sea, Hereditary. Really good editor. Cool. So, yeah, that's Barbenheimer. Is there any other movie, any uh, movies you wanted to talk about that was not part of the big double feature of the moment? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, no. Yeah, I got nothing else that I want to touch on. So I think we should jump into the movie of the week, which was something off of your watch list that I picked. Yes, it was, I believe, uh, the 2015 film The Black Coat's Daughter. Uh, Fun note, um, Osgood Perkins is the writer and director of this. He is the son of Anthony Perkins. Actually, he goes by Oz Perkins in 2015. Apparently, I thought his, his full name is Osgood. Um, I, you know what? Looking at his picture, I can totally see it. I did not know that. Yeah, crazy, right? So yeah. this movie, um, here is my little synopsis. Rose thought her midwinter break couldn't get any worse. She's stranded on the campus of her exclusive boarding school for an extra day while everyone else is off having adventures. And she might be pregnant. To make matters worse, she has to babysit Cat, an aloof freshman whose parents are also late to pick her up and who has also just entered into a secret complicated relationship of her own. Meanwhile, Joan is making her way back to her old school to try to rekindle an old relationship of her own. But sometimes you just can't go back. The Black Coat's daughter is a taut coming-of-age yarn that will have everyone losing their heads. <laughs> that, that's, that is great. And I think to really talk about this movie, we're going to have to completely spoil it. Your, your review did a great job of like skirting around what the movie's really about <laughs> in a very funny I way. think this I is that. a perfect summation of the, <laughs> the events of the movie. Yeah, it, it is. It is, really is. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. Where do you want to start? I thought this yeah. was a great movie. This is the first movie that I've watched from my canopy random uh, add things to my watch list spree mm-hmm. that I've really loved. I agree. I liked it a lot as well. I think uh, a lot of the joy in the movie is the tension that builds up from not quite understanding what's happening until, you know, the certain events are revealed. Yeah, I guess let's get into it. I think the first part is pretty accurate of my synopsis. Um, Mm -hmm. Rose, I believe she's a senior, although I'm not sure they ever say if she's a senior. She's definitely definitely older than Kat. Yeah. She looks like the age difference between uh, Kiernan Shipka and Lucy Boynton. Is that her name? 
the um yes lucy boynton lucy boynton mm-hmm. that's a hard name to say wow yeah. she should um <laughs> i mean yeah she should definitely change it. what what was what was she thinking with that help two white guys out <laughs> that's this world does revolve around us i don't know um exactly so there i believe it is a religious school um it's definitely like this you know waspy northeastern boarding school Mm-hmm. Um, it's the end of February. I don't understand the title of this movie. Apparently in Europe or in parts of Europe, it was just called February, which I think is a much better title because this happens at the at very end of February. I think February 22nd, if I want to say this, most of this. Yeah. Movie I was going to ask you your take on the black coats daughter. Cause I did not understand it. It does not make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so these two girls are stranded at school. Their parents have not come to pick them up. It turns out that uh, Lucy Boynton's character has lied to her parents so she can tell her boyfriend that she thinks she's pregnant because mm-hmm. she's in high school and doesn't realize that periods can be four days late. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of how to really describe this movie. It's kind of told out of order or from, from different perspectives, maybe not necessarily out of order, but you kind yeah. of see the same scenes from multiple uh, points of view, which I actually really loved that style of storytelling. I do too. Yeah. Cause you get a better context the second time around. Yeah. So these girls, uh, cat is the younger one. She's definitely being very weird. Kiernan Shipka was really great as a small child playing this, like very hard to pull off role. I thought it was mm-hmm. almost entirely face acting and kind mm-hmm. of like, staring off into the distance and speaking without speaking. Yes. Um, yeah. She had just had that the right look for most of the movie that kind of made you feel weird and off putting. Yeah. Like a creepier version of Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense when he's being <laughs> weird, but just yes. for the entire movie, she mm-hmm. is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this girl, Joan, who looks like she's older as well. Mm -hmm. And she is kind of traveling. We're not really sure where at one point she looks at a map and you're like, Oh, she's going to Bramford or Bramwood or whatever is the name of this, this boarding school. And you you definitely put two and two together that she's going to that school for some weird reason that is not revealed for some weird reason. That's not revealed over the course of the film, I guess to, to really sum it up. Yeah. um, The little girl cat played by Kiernan Shipka has been communicating possibly with the devil or a demon, or she's just mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Um, She ends up killing two nuns and the older girl and chopping off their heads and kind of uh, worshiping this demon before getting taken to a mental Institute, having an exorcism performed. And nine years later, she is Joan. Yes. And she's going back to the school to try to get this demon. Um, It's actually almost like a love story for a demon, which I thought was (laughs) such an interesting thing as she's having the exorcism. um, She looks and she sees the demon, which looks very much like Donnie Darko. It it was very weird to me. Mm. This is an A24 thing. Like sometimes their movies are like so good. I love the atmosphere, but then something weird happens that makes me just laugh at their horror movies. Sometimes, <laughs> where I'm just like, this is weird. And th- it was so close. And I think they made tasteful choices of in 
the cat scenes of not showing too much of this thing because it could have been funnier. It still looks like a giant stuffed animal, but you really only kind of see the silhouette. Yeah, you just see a silhouette like peeking around corners and things. So, yeah, that works for me. So you're saying that when she sees this demon has left her body and is like... Yeah, the demon has left her body. It's kind of behind this curtain, half behind this curtain in the mental ward. And she says, don't go. And it just like disappears was almost a little heartbreaking. Even though this little monster just decapitated three people and was worshiping at a furnace. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's what goes to show that her performance, you can see it in her face. Like, yeah, this is so sad for her (laughs) you know yeah and this uh this demon i guess one important part i had left out of the plot had told her that her parents were going to die in a car accident yeah or had died already part of the movie that's like one of the very first scenes Mm -hmm. is uh kiernan shipka getting led towards this car accident and saying mom um Mm -hmm. and you're almost led to believe that that had happened in the past and that explains why this little girl is so weird that that was my thought yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, that had not happened. It doesn't happen until like probably about two thirds to three quarters of the way through the movie when everything just goes sideways. Right. Right. And then after, so I do want to talk about that boiler scene because I, this demon has a connection to the boiler somehow. That's kind of like the altar that she worships at. That's where she brought the severed heads after she did her murders and Uh, That comes back to play at the end of the movie. Yes. So Joan is uh, it's nine years later. She uh, very fortuitously gets picked up by what she does not know at the time, but later comes to learn are the parents of Rose, one of the people that she brutally murdered and decapitated in the beginning of the movie. So, of course, um, I thought Emma. Oh, my God, I just blanked on her name. Emma Emma Roberts. Roberts. Yep. Also did a great job in the scene. There's a scene where they're at the restaurant and she, the the father shows her a picture of the daughter. Apparently he sees his daughter in uh, several little girls because Lauren Holly making a comeback in this movie um, <laughs> plays the mom and tells her, he says that to, to all of these girls and I can never see it. Um, right. Right. James Remar plays the father as well from the warriors. Yeah. He's great. He's yeah. been in a bunch of stuff uh, mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. I think he might have been the dad in Dexter is the mm-hmm. thing that I think I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, but she she goes to the bathroom. She holds in the laughter as she sees this picture of this girl. And then Ember Roberts runs to the bathroom to laugh. Yes. I think <laughs> my interpretation is she sees this as a sign because she ends up killing both of them and taking their heads to the boiler, which yes. has gone cold. Yeah, and that's kind of the, the the end of the movie where she realizes this demon is gone. You know, she did all these things to, as I guess, an offering to bring the demon back. She goes to a boiler and it, it's cold. And then the last scene is just her like bawling her eyes out outside the, In the middle of the street. Yeah. yeah. School like, that's been closed down, I would assume, because of the hor- horrific murders. Right. I mean, who would want to go there? <laughs> Yeah, I think this movie was a masterclass in how using sound and just letting scenes breathe can really create tension where Mm -hmm. there's not there's not a whole lot going on at any given moment in this movie. It sounds like it's action packed, but all of the things we talked about basically happen in the last 20 minutes to half an hour of the movie. Yeah, it's also not a long movie. Uh, and if you wanted to summarize the plot, we could have probably done it in in like two sentences. 
but the movie really takes its time to show those characters in those uh, confusing and awkward and strangely horrific moments. (laughs) Yeah. It takes its time building that up. There's a lot of just awkward lingering by the camera, Mm -hmm. which I think probably makes, makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's subconscious, because there's just like this lingering shot on this girl who has a a weird look on her face and you don't know what's going on. There's, kind of sparse dialogue for the most part. Yeah. And Um, when the dialogue is delivered, um, especially like halfway through the movie, when you're kind of in, inside this experience, it starts to be delivered in weird ways. Like that scene of Lauren Holly, the mom in the car, the one you mentioned where she's talking to uh, basically has a monologue. Yeah. Yeah. That monologue, the way she delivers it is just, just off kilter, like just enough. It just weird. It felt like a David Lynch scene at that point. Yeah, you could you could feel. Yeah, it's delivered theatrically, but you could also feel like the the hidden rage. I think mm-hmm. beneath her words, yeah. you know, the, the the pain and the anger, and apparently they do this every year because it's the the eve of the daughter's death. I guess they go visit the school or at least drive by it. It sounds mm-hmm. like every year, and it's leave flowers or something. They said, yeah, it's been nine years, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and God knows how many women um, James Remar has picked up, young girls has picked up t- on on his journey there. He's clearly damaged. Um, yeah, and I don't and, think like in a creepy way. It didn't. I didn't get the vibe that no, he was doing no. anything untoward. It was more just his grief, kind of shining through and presenting as compassion for young girls drifting through life or whatever. However yeah. But the movie kind of lets him takes its time, like with him um, talking to her and convincing her to come on this, you know, trip, like I'm, I'm a good person. I'll take care of you. And that just the movie taking so much time to do that. I was just always waiting for something bad to happen, you know, for him to be start being really creepy or for yeah. her to do something crazy. And that was like part of the tension of the whole movie. It's just those moments if you're just waiting for something. And that first scene when Emma Roberts gets in the car and the wife is like, what are you doing? Yeah, It it lends itself to that interpretation, which I thought was just another really good choice Mm -hmm. um, by either Lauren Holly or the director or both for her to react that way to him putting this girl in the car when you don't have any clue what's going on. He just seems like maybe a little creepy, but could be a nice guy picking up Mm -hmm. a girl who's, freezing out in the cold, just like waiting at a random bus stop or train stop, whatever station that was. Yeah. 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 It's a very assured movie by him. He's a good director and it definitely has those a 24 vibes that we always talk about, you know, like no other studio would bankroll a movie like this, even though it doesn't seem like it costs a lot. I can't imagine uh, this being a draw for any number, any crowd, you know? Yeah. I was trying to think of people watching this in the theater and I just really couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed it. I think about halfway through, it's really started to click for me. There's some moments where I felt like, you know what? It's, it's clearly shot digitally and it doesn't, look as great as I would like, you know, if they put a lot more money behind it, you know, 
Um, and there are some things that I thought were a little corny. Like at some points, Cat makes like weird devil like poses, like from The Exorcist, you know, where she, her like body contorts in half. And I was like, okay, that's a little too far for this type of movie. But otherwise, I thought it was really solid and really interesting. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I really liked that that scene just because they kind of cut from her face. Mm-hmm. Her her body is convulsing on the bed as she's trying to go to sleep. And you don't really know. I mean, obviously you're like, Oh, this is kind of creepy. And then right. her legs just flip over her head. And, but her, her expression on her face never changes from just right. this, like staring off into the, into the far distance, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't tell, like, is she in pain? What is she doing here? It's, it's one of those moments like, for me. I can see how, you know, you could like that. But for me, it was one of those moments where I almost laughed kind of like you and the, and the demon. <laughs> so I guess whatever, sometimes things just strike us funny for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of what it was uh, that happened in hereditary that made me laugh out loud and just totally made me lose all tension. I think it was when the mom starts to cut her own throat when she's like <laughs> hanging, maybe. Uh there was something very comical about that moment to me. And I was just like, this is supposed to be scary, but it looks ridiculous. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, can't, can't have everything be perfect for us. Unfortunately. Why? 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 A 24. I love you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give this movie, I think uh, three and a half stars. Really enjoyed it. I would give it four. Cool. Good pick. Good random pick off of your canopy list. I was very happy about it. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Should I go into mine or do you want to jump into yours? How excited are you to talk about it? Uh, well, I'm fine either way. Are you excited for yours? Uh, not particularly, unfortunately. So let me just get mine out of the way. So I went with the kind of satanic girl for school school girl school for girls uh vibe there's a movie directed by mary Harron, the director of american psycho from 2011 called the moth diaries and listen to this description you can see how it's so similar to uh black coat's daughter rebecca is a young girl who haunted by her father's suicide enrolls in elite boarding school for girls before long, her friendship with the popular Lucy is shattered by the arrival of a dark and mysterious new student named Ernessa, whom Rebecca suspects may be responsible for the rising body count at the school. It's not a slasher movie, so I, I thought it would have some of the more nuanced, creepy vibes of Black Coat's Daughter, and I like American Psycho. I think Mary Heron did a great job with that film. Uh, and the Betty Page movie she did was also quite good. This one, though, is a piece of crap. Really bad. <laughs> it, it, um, what a turd. Yeah. It was, I don't know what went wrong. This is based off a novel. And I think about 20, 30 minutes into a movie, I started to realize that this was the novel it was based on was like a teen novel. It was clearly this is written for teens and has that vibe of what like a teen girl might want to read, like a Twilight type thing. Not that only girls read that, of course, but it is told from the point of view of uh, a diary that this girl is writing in. And then the movie's 80 minutes and involves her 
being obsessed with her best friend and her best friend now um, is moving on to this new girl who has arrived, who has clearly got vampire vibes. Like she's clearly a vampire or the main character thinks she's a vampire. And um, then just some disturbing things start happening, but it's any, anything that was disturbing didn't really feel disturbing. It just kind of happened. You know, there's like a suicide, there's a, a death and whatever it was, the direction or the script, none of that had any weight. It was just like, oh, okay, another girl died. You know, that's kind of how I felt. Uh, there's a subplot where one of the hot new male teacher is coming on to this uh, student and it has nothing to do with anything else in the movie. So it's just this like random subplot that kind of just gets in the way. Um, the special effects, there's a bit of CGI in there that just kind of looks like early 2000s muddy CGI, just very bad. And at the end, it just, it was not, it's not that nothing really interesting happened. It's also that it was confusing what the whole uh, theme and point of the movie was by the end of it. It was just a kind of a muddled mess, felt really cheap, uh, felt very short at 80 minutes, and it didn't really give me anything that I would describe as worthwhile to watch, unfortunately. It does have Oof. Lily Cole in it, who you may have seen in some movies, Star Wars, and uh, she's got a very interesting look, and she's like seven feet tall compared to the act- other actresses in this movie. She's the vampire girl that arrives, and she's she towers over everybody, which was kind of <laughs> funny. But that was it. So, not recommended. The Moth Diaries. Uh, although I do still like Mary Heron. We'll see what happens from here. <laughs> well, then I definitely won't check that out. Yep. I went a different direction. I really loved this movie, uh, The Black Coat's Daughter. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to watch something else from Osgood Perkins. I watched I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House because it was free on Netflix and it also looked creepy. Have you seen this? No, I saw Gretel and Hansel. That was the only other one I saw, which I did oh. like. But this was on my list, potentially. I just uh, went a different direction. So how was it? So if... You had shown me these movies back to back like I watched them and asked me which had come first. I would have said I am the pretty thing that lives in this house because it is very much almost a sister film. It just in terms of tone and feel, he definitely has a style. Um, I noticed a lot of the same. There was that really cool. There was a really cool shot in the Black Coat's Daughter uh, taken from inside the house where you don't know what's happened to the nuns yet. Oh yeah, where like it hands across basically the entire interior of the house. Mm-hmm. There are almost that exact same shot in this movie at a different point, um, okay. and I would have said, you know what, he shot this movie. I am the pretty thing, and he and he took what he learned from that and made a better movie in The Black Coat's Daughter. Uh-huh. Uh, I would be incorrect because this came out a year after, so this is the movie that he made. I would assume immediately following that and. It's just more of the same with an even thinner plot. You said before we could have talked about the black goat's daughter and described the whole thing in less than two minutes. I can do this one in about 10 seconds. (laughs) Wow. A live-in nurse uh, 
takes care of a uh, an author with dementia who is in the movie for about 30 seconds to a minute of screen time and comes to discover that the house is haunted. That's it. Okay. Nothing. There's no story. It is still like a creepy vibe film. Right. Um, if anything, one of the things I forgot to say about the black coat's daughter is that I love a horror movie that doesn't rely on jump scares. I don't think there was a single one in the black mm-hmm. coat's daughter. Right. Yeah, that's true. This one had a couple attempts. I think at jump scares, maybe not as blatant as a lot of like lazy horror movies, but it was still the creepy vibe. And then, you know, um, a string quartet hit kind of thing mm-hmm. when something shocking appears on the screen. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't as blatant as it maybe sounds because it would be like a very small image it's not like in your face jump scare but it's still that same technique um and yeah there just wasn't a whole lot going on whereas the black coat's daughter stuck with me Mm -hmm. yeah you know and this one will not in fact last night because we had lost power for so long that everything in our freezer melted my ice machine was going non-stop and i was laying in bed with all the lights out and i heard that noise that your freezer makes when it dumps the ice and i was like oh no i don't like this feeling (laughs) right but not after i am the pretty thing (laughs) yeah i mean i was almost falling asleep during parts of i am the pretty thing you see in this house So it was fine. It was a good vibe. I would probably still give it two and a half to three stars, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of, it's the kind of movie that just kind of occurs around you and there's nothing to really get all that excited about either way. He wrote it as well. He wrote all the movies. I believe he wrote both of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, that's, unfortunate but i guess they can't all be winners i wonder if um if how if it was filmed in that order maybe i and the pretty thing was filmed first and just took more time to come out who knows yeah i would i wonder what the budget was for this because it wasn't netflix original it was netflix original okay um so i would imagine in 2016 I don't know when Netflix started pumping out a lot of originals, but that's after like Stranger Things and a, oh, a yeah. bunch of their other really successful stuff. So I would imagine this was not, it didn't have to be as small budget as it seemed like. Right. That it's literally a one location movie. Nobody goes anywhere. Okay. There's like three rooms where all of the things happen. Right. Um, I feel like if you were, th- there's basically one cast member and a couple other side characters that are in the movie for probably less than five minutes each. Uh, I was listening to another podcast, Battleship Pretension, and they were talking about how streaming movies and modern movies are starting to feel so empty because of that. Like, because studios are realizing that they don't need to have extras or other locations to make a movie. So everything kind of feels like so insular and fake in a way, like not lived in because Mm -hmm. there's only the main characters on the screen, you know, and they're never anywhere else. Like I was, I saw Casablanca this week. I didn't bring it up. 
because I know you didn't want, you probably wouldn't want to hear about Casablanca, but I will mention that uh, it felt like a real movie. There's extras everywhere. There's lots of locations throughout like the city that they, it takes place in like feels like a real place. You know, there's characters that have lines that aren't integral to the plot. They're just like there to fill out the world. You know, you don't feel that in a lot of these new movies, especially the direct to streaming ones. Yeah, I can see that point. I just think that with a better story, that kind of thing is fine. Yeah, yeah, I can um, say. And maybe, I don't know, way. I don't want to say anything about uh, bad about the lead actress because she was, Ruth Wilson did a fine job, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. there was nothing groundbreaking about it. Like the performances in The Black Coat's Daughter make that movie. Okay, um, yeah. And this, I don't know, it just felt, it felt so thin. There was not a lot there and there were creepy moments, but I guess the, the story is that this house was built by a guy in the early 1800s in Massachusetts and he killed his wife in it and put her behind the boards. And that's what you're hearing. It's like this kind of almost like there's mold on the wall. There's like some weird things. She keeps hearing these weird noises. Mm hmm. At the end of the day, like it's not even it's a movie that I think wants you to think about what happened, but there's nothing. It's not a rewarding experience. There's nothing to dig into. It's like, well, I guess her ghost was haunting this place. Mm -hmm. And now the main character's ghost is haunting the place. But like, why? Okay. Yeah. There's there's not even any any clues to dig into to like come to any resolution. Like it's the kind of movie that doesn't present any answers and like doesn't give you anything to really think about the answers because there's nothing there's nothing there. Pretty thin. Why did the husband say? Why did this? Like there's Mm -hmm. there's nothing to even there's no information given to you to even posit. You know. Like, this is kind of a classic haunting tale. Oh, something horrible happened in this house. Yeah. And usually the heroine is able to investigate or find things or mm-hmm. do whatever. And there's some of that there because the author uh, keeps calling the nurse by the name of the character in the book that appears to be a retelling of this tale. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, but you never get any of that stuff. So it's kind of like playing with those tropes in, in a very unsatisfying way. It's interesting you say that because I feel like you could say the same things about Black Coat's daughter, like that that it doesn't really give you any information about why things are happening, but it, that works, <laughs> you know that and it works. Yeah, there. yeah. I can't really put my finger on why. Maybe mm-hmm. it was just a, a better told movie with better performances, and it mm-hmm. it made me more interested in what was happening on screen than this, Mm -hmm. which was like I said, very much a very, very similar vibe of just like a really slow paced Mm -hmm. movie, um, atmospheric horror. It just, you know, it just didn't do it for me for whatever reason. Okay. Well, at least we watched the black coat's daughter. We both like that. At least we watched the black coat's daughter. I mean, I I didn't dislike, Mm. I am the pretty thing. It was just underwhelming. I think okay. is the perfect way for me to describe my experience watching this movie. Fair. All right. Well, speaking of uh, underwhelming, maybe you should uh, look through my watch list. Oh, I already <laughs> have my friend <laughs> and pick a movie for next episode. I'm excited. I'm excited. What if you pick? Uh, let's amp this baby up. Okay. Uh, I think there's, 
it's always a good indication when multiple people direct a film. Oh God. Um, so I have chosen for us to watch time trap from 2017 directed by Ben Foster and Mark Dennis, whoever they are. Time trap. Why is this on my list? A group of students become trapped inside a mysterious cave where they discover time passes differently underground than on the oh, surface. God. Uh, the, the only reason this is on my watch list is it's because it's one of those people trapped in a place movies that I love. Well, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I love movies where it's one location and you get to see people stuck there and having to figure out what to do. It's great. You know, I love the review by Marin K. Marina K. Choppy storyline, awful acting. I'm in. All right. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, well, good choice. Time Trap 2017. I it's see. got a whole 18 fans. Oh, wow. Average rating 2.6. Where? How bad could it be? You know, we got some, uh, got some ratings from my friends. Florian gave it a three and a half. Jonah gave it a two and a half. Thanks, guys, for... Uh, rating it those so aren't real it. names of people you know <laughs> they are real names and they might listen to this podcast well my friend tchaikovsky gave it four and a half stars oh, okay tchaikovsky <laughs> such sights to see along with my other projects can be found on proleary.com on letterboxd i'm long monkey and eric is normal monkey because i'm longer thanks for listening And as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.